morning, friends. I want to say welcome and Merry Christmas. It's Christmas Sunday, and I'm just so excited that you're here with us today as we're going to be diving into this teaching where we're talking about why we call Jesus Lord. And we're going to have a teaching today where we're going to talk about the birth of Emmanuel. And we call him Lord because of who it is that was born that day. And it's going to be a great day. Hey, before we dive into our message, though, I do want to encourage you, make sure you're doing all the things that we do when, uh, when we want to support pages or, or social media or online stuff that we want to support. You know, make sure you're clicking that like, clicking that subscribe, clicking that sub notification bell, leaving thumbs up. I mean, do everything that, uh, that you can do to help this message get out there and be a blessing to others one thing that you can do to help that happen is is share it you know make sure that you're sharing these messages when you hear something that's a that blesses you encourages you it lifts you up maybe it will be something that can bless encourage and lift someone else up too so be sure to be sharing uh, this message today and maybe it'll be an encouragement to somebody uh, and that way you can help us bless the people in your life hey we want to offer you an opportunity to uh, we want to give you a gift every uh, every once in a while i mentioned this gift that we want to give people we have this book called unshakable that that we like to give people i like to give people books as gifts because books we can read them and be blessed by them and I would love to give you a gift it's a Christmas gift we have this book that we're giving everyone at our church as a Christmas gift it's called uh, the case for Christmas and we would love to give one of those to you if you want to get one of those you could just let us know that you're here today and uh, and just mark down on the box that you want one of the books as a Christmas gift uh, we would love to give you one of those books as a Christmas gift today and uh, so let us know how if we can do that and by the way if you haven't done so already hit the link below and fill out one of those connection card links uh, and and you could just let us know that you are here you can let me know how I can be praying for you maybe that's the best place to put down that you want one of those books because I just thought like we don't necessarily have a little box for you to click other than the unshakable book which we could give you too but uh, if, if you want to leave us in the prayer request uh, memo i'd like one of the christmas case for christmas books we will make sure we get one to you uh, but please be sure to hit that uh, hit that link and and fill out the connection card let us know that you were here hey let's get into our teaching uh, let's pray first i'd like to pray for you this christmas season i'd like to pray for this teaching and then we'll dive in uh, let's pray father in heaven we come before you right now and god we ask uh, your blessing on everyone who's joining us here online today we ask your blessing on the uh, the people that are in our community this christmas we ask your blessing on all the people who come to celebrate christmas with us together in person and who are uh, god i just want to pray specifically and especially for those who are here right now I pray, God, that you will bless them with your presence. You are the God who comes near to us, the God who wants to connect with us, the God who wants to lift us up into your presence. And I pray that as a result of our teaching today, we will be drawn closer to you. Uh, we pray that your spirit will be at work in this teaching. We pray that you will move in our hearts 
in this teaching, that you will encourage us and lift us up this season. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. All right. Well, I want to dive into this teaching where we're going to talk about the birth of Emmanuel. And here we are, Christmas Sunday, and uh, we're, we're thinking about Christmas. We're thinking about family. We're thinking about getting together and making memories. And, you know, a few weeks ago, I asked you to let me know what was... Uh, your favorite Christmas gift, most memorable Christmas gift. And I mentioned that I might share one of mine. And I, I want to ask you a question this morning. You know, what is maybe your most memorable Christmas memory? What, what event happened on Christmas, on, on some Christmas, one of these years as you celebrated? Maybe you have a, a really memorable memory, a, a moment, a, a thing that happened that comes to your mind when you think of Christmas. Well, m mine was the time that I... Uh, I, I took my wife-to-be to Niagara Falls. We were going to school together in Missouri. We dated for about five years, and I decided it was time that I was going to ask my wife to marry, ask Carrie to marry me and to be my wife. And so we went to Rochester for Christmas, which is where my family lived, and we stayed at my family's house in and, and Rochester, New York. And we, we got in the car, and we drove to... Niagara Falls, which is where I was going to propose. And we crossed the, the border over into Canada and went to Niagara Falls. Now, before I got there, I was so nervous when I was driving there that I was speeding and wasn't paying as much of attention to the speed limit as, as I should. I ended up getting a, a speeding ticket, which is only one of three I've gotten my whole life. And so I, I got a speeding ticket on my way to go propose to my wife. So that was kind of memorable that alone. And then we got to the Niagara Falls side, uh, or the Niagara Falls, Canada side of Niagara Falls, which is actually a better view than the American side. You can see the big horseshoe. Everything's lit up nice. And, and we get there. It's the, you know, winter season. So lots of ice is everywhere. It's kind of pretty with all the ice. It's, it, it's a, it's a great place to go. Uh, I, I just love going to Niagara Falls to the the Canadian side, to be honest with you. And we were there in the spot where, if you are old enough to remember, Lois Lane was saved by Superman. You know, we're on we're on, on that spot in that area, looking at the falls. And I I reach in, I, I pull out the ring, I get down on my knees. And uh, as soon as I did that, all the tourists who were there looking at the falls and, and feeling the mist hitting their face, because the falls always has a mist, even though it was freezing, all that mist collects as ice, but b before it does, it falls as water. And so, so we're there, and I'm on my knees, and a crowd gathers around. I ask Carrie if she would marry me and be my wife, and she said yes, and all the tourists start <laughs> clapping, and, and it was a a memorable Christmas moment, you know, a memorable Christmas for me. It's probably the one that stands out the most to me in my memory when I think of a special Christmas moment. Now, if I wanted to get really technical about the, 
the timing and the history going on and the history that was happening in that moment and, and in that place and in that year. I could go into a lot of details that have nothing to do with the story, but would ground the story of that Christmas moment into history. For example, it was that month that Bill Clinton was in his second term of his presidency, and in that month it was announced that he was being impeached for perjury and obstruction of justice concerning the Monica Lewinsky scandal. And, and, in, and in that month and in that year, George Pataki was the governor of New York, which is where I was and where I was from. And, and I believe at that time it was John Kitzhopper who had just won his, sec, uh, for the second time, uh, he had just won to be governor of, of Oregon. And it was that year that some of the movies that stand out to me were, were coming out in theaters, movies like the Titanic. And it was that year that Saving Private Ryan was released. And it was that year that The Water Boy, you know, came out in theaters. And and in that year, the New York Yankees, go Yankees, the New York Yankees had won the, the World Series. And in that year, the Denver Broncos had beat the Green Bay Packers for the Super Bowl. And, and the Buffalo Bills, which would have been more of my my interest, the Buffalo Bills had a 10 wins and 6 losses for that season. Now, that year, it was pre-9-11, and you could cross the border to Canada freely without a passport, not like it is today. And, and in that year, uh, it, it was my first of my my senior years, and yes, I had two senior years because my degree required it. And, and so in that year, the next year, we would graduate, get married in Missouri, and move to Oklahoma, uh, and uh, or move, uh, sorry, move to New York, and, and we would serve together in our first ministry. Now, adding details like that, well, it doesn't change anything for the romantic experience of proposing to my wife. It doesn't really change the content of the story, but what it does is it grounds it in history. These were the historical moments, the historical things taking place in the world at the time. It puts this event that I just shared with you into real uh, history, real human history. Well, the story of the birth of of Jesus, the story of the birth of the one they would call Emmanuel, well, the Luke, the historian, shares with us this story. And what he does is he not only tells us this is the story of the birth of Christ, the birth of the one who would be named Jesus, the, the birth of the one who the prophet Isaiah and the prophet or, and the angel Gabriel would call Emmanuel, but he says this birth happens in real human in history, he brings out the important details of the world at the time. Who was the most powerful ruler in the world? You know, uh, he wasn't a president, but he was the Caesar of all of Rome, you know, and, and who was the governor at the time? And what were some of the events happening in history at the time? He's going to share them all with us, and he'll tell us in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, saying this, at the the time of the Roman Emperor Augustus, 
He had decreed that a census should be taken throughout all the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns for the, uh, to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, uh, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, who is, who, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And here we see the story of this birth, this memorable Christmas moment. I mean, it's the one that kicks them all off, right? This, this memorable moment of, of the birth of Christ to Mary, the virgin, who was engaged and married to Joseph, who was a descendant of David, and so they had to travel. And here we have this birth, this birth that was promised to Mary, this birth that was prophesied by Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says this, All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This was a promise that God himself would come into our world, that he would enter human history, that he would walk among us, and he would do it all in order to draw us back to himself into a relationship with himself. But here, Luke sort of takes the spiritual side of all that's happening with the Christmas story, the, the romantic side of it, if you will, and he goes ahead and he inserts the historical details, the things going on at the time. Luke, the historian, he does what historians do. He sort of adds the details that we don't necessarily want to know or need to know, but he's going to make sure we know them because this isn't a story that begins once upon a time. No, this is a story that begins with Augustus Caesar. Now, who was Augustus Caesar? Well, history will tell us that Augustus Caesar was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, who, well, well, he was assassinated. And you may have heard the story of the assassination of Julius Caesar. Well, when, when his father was assassinated, Augustus, his adopted son, inherited his positions. Augustus was also known as Octavia. He inherited Caesar's name, his estate, his, the loyalty of his subjects and armies, and, and he inherited the rulership and the Caesarship over all of Rome. He took the title Augustus because that title implied the idea that he was majestic and revered and, and, and that he was this 
a great ruler, and he was emperor of the Roman Empire at the time that Jesus was born. And, and the Roman Empire, as you may know, had, had taken over all of Israel and Judea and basically ruled over uh, Jerusalem and, and ruled. It, it, Caesar was the great ruler at the time, and, and Augustus was assessing his wealth. He was assessing the power of his empire, and so he was taking this census, which would lead lead to attacks, which would also lead to him knowing who he could uh, put into his armies. How many men did he have at his disposal? And so he's doing this, uh, this, he's doing this census to assess his wealth and his power. And, and Luke drops another historical name while he's at it. He, he, he said working under Caesar were governors like this governor Quirinius, and, and he set the that he he was a governor that would make sure that these kinds of censuses would work out smoothly and and against the backdrop of Augustus Caesar this powerful emperor and and Quirinius this powerful governor under Caesar he would sort of bring about the story of this poor this humble this young couple and this very pregnant woman uh, they worshiped God rather than themselves unlike Caesar and, and and they worshipped God and followed God's call for their lives and even though they lived in a very small backwards town called Nazareth, the census required them to make this long trip to travel to Bethlehem. And because Joseph was from the family line of King David, and King David grew up in the area of Bethlehem, he had to go and travel to Bethlehem to, to check in and to take be a part of this census. And, and so God sort of works out things and and although these are at first seem like unimportant details who's the emperor and who's the governor uh, it's almost like God is telling us that he's working behind the scenes to bring about his purposes. Because one of the things that was prophesied about the coming Messiah is that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Well, Bethlehem's almost a hundred miles away from Nazareth, and this poor little couple who is, is living in Nazareth, well, why, why would they have their baby in Bethlehem? Well, here's how God works it out through this census. And, and because of the census, they make this trip. They travel the hundred or so miles. Mary is so pregnant that when they get there, they have to find a place to stay. And, and she has her baby there in Bethlehem, fulfilling the prophecy like the prophet Micah prophesied. In, in Micah 5, 2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are from distant past will come from you on my behalf. And here it's like God was orchestrating and arranging this divine appointment for his birth in Bethlehem behind the scenes. Uh, he is a providential God and he is working behind the scenes, sometimes through, uh, through Caesars and governors. And we don't even know or, 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 or understand where he's working or how he's working, but he's bringing about his redemptive story. And I like one of the things that Micah said in that prophecy, that, that here, born in Bethlehem, is one 
whose origins are in the distant past. Now, some of your Bibles will say he, he's from the ancient of days, and, or origin, he has origins from old. And the word here is a word that implies the idea of eternity. Like, this is an eternally old person who, who, who has existed for eternity, and yet he's going to be born. In Bethlehem. And that sort of leaves us with a question. How, how can someone who's eternal be born in Bethlehem? And how can someone whose origins are of old be born at all? I mean, wouldn't you say he was already born? And, and that brings us to what we're talking about this morning. We're going to be talking about how we call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And until we come to that first memorable Christmas moment, we don't really understand. Humanity probably had no clue what this even meant or how God was going to bring it about. But on that day in that place, when Mary laid the baby Jesus in a feeding trough or a manger, she was laying one whose origins were from old that would be called God with us. And why do we call him Lord? Well, because there in that manger laid a baby who was the Lord. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at this birth of Emmanuel. I want to look at this birth that was prophesied. And I want to talk about some of the because answers to the question, why do we call Jesus Lord? And I want to just start giving you some answers. I've got three answers that I want to share with you this morning. And the first one is this, that we call Jesus Lord because in that manger, we see that Jesus is God who draws near. Jesus is this God who draws near to us. And I want you to hold on to that thought as we go through this because answer. I'm, I'm going to spend a little bit of time getting really teachy in this answer. But I want you to hold on to the idea that the whole point is that it's God drawing near to us. It's God coming close to us. I mean, Isaiah prophesied that they would call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That, that Jesus, this baby who grew up to be a man, his whole life, he was God with us, God among us. It was prophesied that Mary would have this miraculous virgin birth, and the one who she gave birth to would be called God with us. Gabriel told Mary that she was going to be that virgin in that prophecy, and that uh, <laughs> that her son would be the one who would be coming that would save people from their sins. He would be called Jesus, and he would also be called Emmanuel, that he would fulfill that prophecy. You see, when Jesus was born, it wasn't the beginning of Jesus. It wasn't the beginning of his life. It was the beginning of sorts. There is a beginning to that moment. We'll talk about what kind of beginning that was, but it's not the beginning of the person, Jesus. It's not the beginning of the Son of God. It, it, it's the story of a person who already existed, of a person who was already alive and living and had been living for eternity in the spirit world. It's the story of him putting skin on and becoming one of us. Now, the theological word for that beginning is the incarnation. 
It means that he becomes God in the flesh. And that is what began here. For the first time, God will add something to himself. God will put skin on. The creator will become a part of his creation. The story of the incarnation is the story of God, who is spirit, who puts on to himself humanity. That God becomes one of us. And that means that he is the Lord, the God. Jesus Christ. Now, don't misunderstand the idea of the story of Christmas. I think sometimes people do. While the story of Jesus' birth is a story of God becoming one of us, it's not the origin story of Jesus. It's not the story of Jesus becoming. Micah prophesied that he was eternal, that he was from the ancient of days, that he was already around in the beginning. The apostle John will write to us and he will teach us that Jesus was already existing, that he was already worshipped, that he was already working and creating all the way back at the beginning of creation. In fact, in John chapter 1 verse 1, he will write this. He will label Jesus as the word of God, and he will say this. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was God, uh, and or sorry, the word was with God, and the word was God. And here John is sort of explaining that Jesus is a part of the Trinity, that he's the word and he's with God and he is God. And he explains in chapter 1 verse 14 of the book of John saying this, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. In other words, John is telling us that this Son of God is the Word. And before the Christmas morning, the, the memorable Christmas moment of the birth of Jesus, before that, he was already with God. He was already creating. He was, he was already God. And the story of Jesus is God putting skin on. We could reread all those verses by inserting the name Jesus for the words, the Word. We could read it this way. In the beginning was Jesus. He'd already existed. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. And then we could go to 114. And so Jesus became human and made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. In other words, Jesus, uh, John is teaching us, was already around before his birth. And now in his birth, he's adding something new to himself. And, and so there is something new happening here, but it's not the existence of Jesus. Jesus has already been around. Even the Apostle Paul will explain that to us. He will tell us that before Jesus was God incarnate or, or, or had gone through the incarnation, that he was God the creator. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, the Apostle Paul is describing for us who Jesus was before he became the baby in the, in the manger. And he says this, in Colossians 1.16, For through him, talking about Jesus, God created everything 
in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we cannot see and the things we or we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. In fact, what Paul is saying is that all things that were created were created for Jesus by Jesus. Wow. Here in that moment in that manger is God himself drawing near. It's, it's, it's not the story when you look at the story of Jesus. It's not the story of a person who grows up, lives a good life, and becomes a God. It, you know, the Christian story is not a story like that. Some people mistake it for that. They, they think that maybe Jesus one day kind of woke up and said, I'm a God, and began to teach as if he was God. No, the story of Jesus and his birth is the story of, of God himself, who was already God, who already existed. He puts skin on, he becomes one of us, he, he lives among us. And, and the whole point of doing that was so that he could say to us, I'm drawing near to you. The whole point of being Emmanuel, God with us, is to draw near to us because God knows that we can never draw near to him, that, that we're so far away from him that we could never do enough to get closer to him, that, that we could never climb a spiritual ladder that would bring us to him, that, that we could never achieve God-likeness enough to, to uh, be close to him or to be near to him. But he wants to be near to us. And so the story of the incarnation and, and the story of the birth of Emmanuel is all about God drawing near to us. In Hebrews chapter 4, 15 to 16, the, the, the author of Hebrews says this, this high priest of ours, Jesus, understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And the idea is, is that he comes, he becomes one of us so that he can be like us in all the ways that matter so that he can draw near to us. You know, a lot of the religions of the world will teach that we can become gods that people, if they live gooder and gooder, and I know it's not a word, I just like to say it that way, but if we can live good enough, that we will become like God. And uh, that was one of Satan's oldest tricks, is to teach us that, that people become gods, that we can put ourselves in God's place, that we can be good enough to be God or powerful enough to be gods. And, and really, a lot of the world spends its life, um, spends their lives, trying to achieve some sort of godship, you know, where, where they claim their own lordship over their life, where they claim lordship over other people's lives or, or over, over other things in life. And, and the idea that God draws near is the idea that says to us, we'll never become gods, but God will draw near to us. 
And he will draw near to us in all the ways that matter, that help him relate to us or help us relate to him. You see, Jesus came and, and, and he was tempted in the ways that we, we are. He, he came and, and lived this incredibly humble life so that he could say to us, you're never going to be so humble that I can't understand. That's why I think he came to a poor backwoods, backcountry couple, you know, and that's why he grew up in poverty and was born in poverty. That, that's why I think he was betrayed and lived in a way where he suffered and he was, uh, he was murdered and, and tortured. And he went through some of the worst experiences that a human can go through, I think, so that he could always say to us, I get you, I understand you, and I want to draw close to you. He can empathize, he can understand, and so he draws near to us. That's the whole story of Emmanuel. Wow, at the same time, at the same time he draws near to us, becomes like us in ways that matter. I think that brings us to the second answer to the question. We call him Lord. Well, we call him Lord because he draws near to us, especially in ways that matter. But we also call him Lord, well, because he sits above us. We call him Lord because he, although he's like us in ways that matter, he's also unlike us in ways that matter. He, he's above us in ways that matter. While on one side, he was, uh, he, he was God who became one of us and became like us. Uh, he didn't become like us in every way. You see, he came to be near us, uh, to become one of us, but he didn't just become another one of us. He wasn't just like any old other guy. You see, don't misunderstand the story of the incarnation for God becoming just one of the boys. You know, God didn't come to just be another mere man. Let's put it that way. He had something about him that set him apart, that set him different. He, he wasn't just a mere man. He lived the, the life that all men were intended to live, but no man ever has lived. He, he was set apart in the way that he lived as a man. He lived perfectly as a man. He lived sinlessly as a man, which, by the way, is really important because if he didn't do that, then he wouldn't have been able to pay for our sin, but he he would have had to have paid for his own sin but because he had no sin and there was no sin in him when he died he was able to pay the punishment and take the penalty for my sin and and your sin and, and so we look at him and we realize that he's not just a man but he's a man who sits above us and because he sits above us he's able to do something about where we sit that's the whole idea that he's greater than us in so many ways he wasn't just a mere man he was better than us and and unlike other men he was god he, he not only lived the perfect human life he was supposed to live that we're all supposed to live that none of us ever have lived he not only did that, but he was, as he was doing it, he was God in the flesh. And as God, he taught and did things that no man could do. Uh, he taught and did things and, and accomplished things that only God could do. He commanded 
wind and waves and nature to obey him, <laughs> which if there's a God who created wind and waves and nature, then only that God uh, would be able to command them. And Jesus did at will with his words and his thoughts. And he was able to uh, heal diseases and brokenness in people's bodies. And he was able to do things that only a God could do. And, and so he had uh, this uncanny circumstance where in one sense he's fully man, but on the other sense he's fully God doing things that, that only God can do. And, and that allowed him to do things that only God could do and allows him to do only things that God could do in us. For example, uh, Jesus taught and claimed that he could forgive sin. That, that he could forgive not only people who sinned against him, but that he could forgive sin of all mankind. And when you think about the idea of forgiveness and that claim, you realize how big that claim is. And I just want to walk you through, uh, if you'll bear with me, walk you through a time where I learned how to ask for forgiveness. You see, I was found myself as a teenager sitting in a couch across from another couch where uh, this one lady was crying and her husband was looking at me and I thought he maybe wanted to, to beat the tar out of me, uh, which was probably the case. I became a Christian later on in my high school days and uh, I started going to a youth group when uh, at the church that I became a Christian at. And, and one time uh, when I was at that youth group, I was really, really unkind to one of the volunteer leaders of that youth group. I was swearing at her and I was making fun of her and I was, I was really being a, a downright jerk to her. And, and, and I wish I could say when I became a Christian, all my ugly sides and ugly parts just went away. I wish I could say they're all gone now, but they're still there sometimes. And, and sometimes the old Sam and me would come out. And back then the old Sam and me was still trying to figure out how to leave, you know? And, and so I remember though, I had upset this lady so bad. She wanted to quit volunteering at youth group and the pastor uh, c contacted me and he talked with me and he knew that I was a new Christian. And he said, Hey, you know, Jesus would want you to go apologize to this woman and oh man a teenage kid I did not want to go apologize that was the farthest thing from what I wanted to do and and I didn't know how this was gonna go and I didn't know what this was gonna look like but I realized he was right and I better do it and so I got I got in my car went over to their house and uh, sat down I thought her husband who wasn't a Christian was wanted to just knock my block off and I'm sure he did and he very well could have and uh, I sat across from this lady and I apologized for what I had done and I didn't know what was going to happen after I apologized was I going to get reamed was I going to get told off was I going to get uh, whatever I had coming I figured I had it coming well she said I forgive you and she did she really forgave me for what had happened. And, you know, after that, I had like a, a lifelong friendship with that family and their kids growing up. And, and even with her husband, uh, that's still, uh, I consider a friend today. But looking back, I, I was thinking, man, that was my first experience with forgiveness and someone forgiving me and, and me seeing how it w was all supposed to work. But when you think about forgiveness, 
who was it that had the power to forgive? And, uh, and, and who was it that forgiveness was owed to? You know, the only person in the room that had the power to forgive was her. She had the power to forgive what I had done to her because I did it to her. You know, her husband couldn't forgive me for her. Uh, the pastor couldn't forgive me for her. She had to do it. It was, it was hers to give. And, and the only person that I could receive it from was her. Well, there is another person. I mean, you know, if you've been around the church, you understand that, that, that the only other person that can forgive any sin is God himself. Because God was her creator and God describes in scripture how all sin is rebellion against him. And he's the ultimate authority who, who can forgive our sins. And so when Jesus said that he had the power to forgive sin, he wasn't saying it the way that, you know, a mom might forgive a teenage kid who wronged her. He wasn't saying it in a way that, uh, well, I'm sure you have people that you needed to forgive or, or who you need to forgive. People have hurt you in different ways. You know, people who maybe have abused you, people who have uh, lied to you, stolen from you, who have wronged you, who slandered you, who talked bad about you. I mean, you, you have people that, that you've either had to forgive or have to forgive, and you, you realize that you have that power to forgive. And, and I think one of the reasons Scripture tells us we need to be forgiving is because he knows what it does for us who forgive, and not so much because of what it does for those being forgiven. But we also realize that there's another authority above us that can forgive. It's God. And the incredible thing is, is that Jesus claimed not the authority to forgive as a person who was wronged, but the authority to forgive as God, which is huge. You know, Jesus claimed he had the authority to forgive a murderer over the person he murdered or the family that lost someone. Jesus has claimed the authority to forgive a, a thief above the person who was stolen from, or a, or a, an abuser, or a rapist, or a, Jesus claimed authority to forgive as an authority that's over all those who have been wronged and and needed forgiving. And in a in this one time where he was teaching, there was somebody who was in need of forgiveness, and his friends brought him forward. One time Jesus was teaching about forgiveness and our, our need for it. And, and there was a man who was a paralytic and he was paralyzed because of some sin in his life. And I don't know what the sin was, but, but I do know that all of his community knew that his paralysis had something to do with sin. Maybe he had uh, gotten drunk and, and he had done something that caused this serious injury in his life. Or maybe he had done something and got into a fight or or maybe he had uh, was was running away after stealing something and fell and I, I don't know how he got paralyzed but everybody in the room and everyone in the crowd knew this paralytic and they knew it had something to do with a sin in his life and Jesus claimed that he could forgive this man of his sins 
and heal him. Now, the Bible teachers and scholars in the room knew that Jesus was claiming to be able to do something that only God could do. Because this man can't go back, uh, and, and uh, Jesus is basically saying that he has more authority to forgive than the person that this man might go back to and ask forgiveness from. Jesus said, I have so much authority to forgive that not only can I forgive you, but I can heal you. And so in Mark 2, 5, it says this, seeing faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. And the Bible teachers and scholars in that moment, they were upset because they knew the only one who really had this power and authority was God himself. And Jesus basically told them that, that they were picking up the right idea. Now you're understanding who I am, right? He says that only God can, uh, with a miracle, heal this man. And only God has the authority to forgive this man his sins. And, and that's what he was trying to teach them. And so he says, basically, in a moment, I'm going to heal this man. And he says this in Mark 2, 10 to 11. I'm going to do it so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up and pick up your mat and, and get up and, and go home. And immediately the man picked up his mat, uh, mat and he started to walk and dance around. And, and later the same religious leaders, they would try to kill Jesus because he was a mere man, they said, claiming to be God. Here's how they said it in John 10, 33. It says, they replied, you are a mere man claiming to be God. And you know, if Jesus wasn't God, then he was a blasphemous lunatic, a mere man claiming to be God. Uh, there's no room in this to label Jesus as a good teacher or one of many religious leaders uh, teaching the same truths. You know, there, there's no room for that uh, because Jesus' claims were too polarizing for that. And if he wasn't God, he, we would be wasting our time turning to him for anything because he was a mere man or just one of us. And he wouldn't have real power to forgive our sins. He wouldn't have real power to have any effect on us in eternal life. He would be incapable of doing anything for us. Jesus, though, wasn't just a mere man, but he was God. And if he was God, if he really was Emmanuel, who is God with us, if he really was in that manger, a baby who is the Lord, who is Emmanuel, if that's who he was, then his claim to the ability of someone who is eternal, then his claims to have the ability of someone who's above just a mere man, well, his claims would be things we can trust. Claims like his ability to give us salvation through the forgiveness of our sins. Well, I can trust him. I can trust him with things that I wouldn't trust a mere man to have power over. I can trust him with my eternal life. I can trust him to be the Lord of my life. I can trust him to be the Lord. And so we think about these two ideas. On one side, we believe Jesus is the Lord because he was God who comes to be with us to draw us near to himself. He's Emmanuel. He wants to draw us near. Whether or not we deserve to have him draw near. It's, it's not important to the question. 
He just wants to draw near. He draws us near. But, and then at the same time, he becomes one of us to draw near to us. But he also becomes one of us who's still greater than any of us so that he can accomplish things that none of us could accomplish. So that he could do things for us that no one else could do for us. And, and so he becomes one of us. He's God who draws near, and he's also God who sits above. At the same time, Jesus is this God who lifts us up, and that's the whole purpose, the whole reason for all of it. We call Jesus Lord because he's Emmanuel, God who comes to become one of us, the incarnation of God himself, the incarnation of God as he puts skin on. He comes to become one of us, and in doing so, he becomes one of us who's still greater than all of us, but he does it so that he could lift us up, so that he could take us from a, a place where we feel unloved and forgotten to a place to where we can be loved and known. He, he takes us from a place where where we've been knocked down and, and he wants to lift us up. He takes us from a place where our life is full of guilt and sin and shame. And he wants to bring us to a place where we can know the embrace and the, the kindness and the mercy of God. He comes to lift us up, to know him, to be like him, to be in his presence. You see, Jesus was like us in all the ways that matter. And he was better than us in all the ways that matter. And in doing both of those, he's able to lift us up in all the ways that matter. To lift us up into his presence. To lift us up and say, you can now become a child of God. You can now become mine and, and be known by me and be loved by me and be embraced by me. He, he came to put himself through the life that he lived and the death that he died. All so that he could lift us up. I just want you to think about that for a moment. You know, when Jesus came... He limited himself. He didn't cheat. Even though he was God, he limited himself to the whole human experience. That says he can relate to you and me. He limited himself. He, he, he didn't take it on himself to skip suffering, to skip hardship, or to skip temptation. He went through it all just like you and I do. It says in Philippians 2, 7, he gave up his divine privileges he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. That's the incarnation. That's the Emmanuel, the God with us. And he comes and does that so he can lift us up. He stopped being God. Or sorry, I said that completely wrong. He never stopped being God. He never stopped being God. Jesus was one person, always with two natures, fully human, fully God. And he lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he did it so that he could lift you and me up from our sin and brokenness, from our guilt and shame. That he could lift us up into the presence of our Father. That's the birth of Emmanuel. That's what it's all about, lifting us up. And what we're talking about here, it's no fairy tale. It's not just some uh, memorable, uh, might have happened one time or another type thing. No, it's not a myth, a mythology. No, 
No, Luke will bring us to a memorable, historical, real moment that begins with things that we know all too well. Things like politicians and corrupt leaders and taxes and and power grabs and historical hardships. Things like real life events. And then you will say into real life and into a really messy world comes this great Christmas moment. The birth of Emmanuel. And I don't know what harsh realities, what messy world you're living in right now this morning but the birth of Emmanuel tells you God wants to enter into your mess and your life that he wants to draw near to you and to be like you in all the ways that matter and he wants to work with you in the midst of your hardships and troubles and suffering and in the midst of your life and yet He's greater than you in all the ways that matter as well. And, and that makes him able to help you through them. It makes him able to give you promises of eternal life after them. And his ultimate goal in all of it, as God who's with you, is to lift you up and to draw you near to God. He wants to lift you up today. And I want to pray right now that he will. Will you let me pray with you? And I invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the incarnation, the coming of Emmanuel, who is God with us. God, we don't always understand or appreciate the idea that you are this Emmanuel in our lives. But I pray that this season, this holiday, this Christmas where we celebrate the coming of Christ, I pray, pray that you will put it on our hearts and that you will help us understand more how you want to draw near to us, how you want to draw us near to you. God, we know that all of us here have things that maybe have come between us, things that we're ashamed of, things that we're guilty of, and we do come before you and ask your forgiveness in Christ. We invite you to draw near and to lift us up. We invite you to forgive us, to help us know your salvation and hope, and ultimately to help us know you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Well, I want to say Merry Christmas once again. Thank you for joining us for this online teaching time. Hey, if you want to help uh, support the Vernonia Church and the ministry of Vernonia Church, uh, you can always do that. You could go online at any time to www.vernonia.church, and there you can find uh, a give tab, and you can hit that give tab, and uh, you can give there. You can give any amount you'd like. You can give a dollar. You can give uh, a substantial amount. I mean, you can tithe through that. I, a lot of people do. Uh, some of you online are are committed not only to being here online every week, but you're committed to giving online every week. And I want to say thank you to all of you who are doing that. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you've never done that, or if you want to do that, or be a part of that, uh, go to www 
vernonia.church. That's V-E-R-N-O-N-I-A dot church. And you can, you can join us in giving to support the teachings that we're putting out there. Uh, what I want to do now is I just want to finish up. I want to finish up with a Merry Christmas. I uh, also want to finish up by saying uh, that we're going to be having a, a Christmas Eve service. Uh, and that, that will be at, at five and, and six o'clock at on Christmas Eve. We're going to have those at, on in-person, uh, at our in-person services. You're more than welcome to come in-person if you can make it. I'd love to see you. Uh, we're also going to be having a uh, in -per uh, sorry, an online devotion. I'll be sharing a short message on Christmas Eve that we'll be putting up, and you can join us for that if you're not able to make it in person. And I wish I could share with you the whole experience of our on of our in person service, but uh, I just don't know how we would do it. It's dark, and and we do a we do a candle lighting, and we sing songs together, and all that. And uh, you, you, the last thing you want to hear is me singing, uh, especially online. Uh, but uh, but what I want to do is I want to just share with you a devotion, which will be a you know a little teaching that I'm going to share at the in person, and we'll make that available to you on Christmas Eve. So be sure to join us then. Uh, we'll probably make sure we put it up by five o'clock on, on Christmas Eve. Um, and so I think that's everything. I'm just going to count to three and we're going to declare it's been a great day together. And I want to declare Merry Christmas to you too. So on the count of three, if you want to join me, you're welcome to do that. One, two, three. It's been a great day. Hey, I hope you have a great day and Merry Christmas. <laughs> I hope you have a great Christmas season. We'll see you uh, on Christmas Eve. And if not, then we'll see you next Sunday.